Blog Talk Radio. This is TV Party Tonight. I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And if you hear me wheezing and coughing, it's because I've had a bit of a setback in my uh, quest to reclaim my health. But I'm not going to talk about that. This isn't a diary. This is a TV review podcast. So let's review some TV. Tonight's topic is the second season of Netflix's Voltron, Legendary Defender, season two. The uh, first season, I believe, dropped <coughs> excuse me, last year, uh, June 10th, 2016. <coughs> and it consisted of uh, 11 episodes. And it was uh, pretty universally praised. People really dug it. Uh, for me in particular, and, and we talked about this uh, last year with Robert Cooper, who is supposed to join me tonight. He, that's part of the reason why we're recording so late was to accommodate his work schedule. Not entirely sure where he is right about now, but uh, hopefully he'll dial in soon and uh, we can get this thing going. In the meantime, as I said, uh, we talked about this uh, <coughs> last year when it initially dropped. And... I have to say, the first season, uh, it took me a little while to get into it. Uh, <clears throat> the first couple epi- episodes where they were finding the lions and forming a team, and, and it, just, it moved a little slow. When they finally got going and <clears throat> started to travel and help out the, uh, the, the other uh, planets, that were under the rule of the, of the Galron. Uh, that's when it picked up for me. And it ended great. It was phenomenal. At the time, I wasn't sure if it was going to go for a second season. But whether they knew ahead of time that this was going to get picked up again, or they just decided to leave it open just in case, it ended on a cliffhanger. If you'll recall, they had uh, launched an attack on the, uh, <clears throat> on the bad guys on their ship. And uh, as I said, just to, uh, just to recap, the castle ship was unable to form a wormhole to escape after they had more or less completed their mission until suddenly one of Zarkon's commanders destroys the sentries guarding the barrier generator and shuts it down. As they escape through a wormhole, Hagar hits it with her lightning, causing the portal to become unstable. The lions are separated from the castle ship and the wormhole, falling the parts unknown. So right away, 
season two picks up with a mystery who was working on the inside to help them escape. Where did the lions go? What's going to happen to Koran uh, and Alora on the castle ship? And that is exactly where we start with season two, which just dropped this past Friday, as a matter of fact, with Across the Universe, first episode of season two. And I have to say, just in general, I loved season two. I don't think there was a bad episode or a slow episode in the entire uh, season. I really enjoyed how they started. It ended much the same way season one ended with a cliffhanger. And it definitely left me wanting more. Uh, But back to, and as I said, Robert Cooper is supposed to jump in any any time, but I'm going to keep plugging ahead. And, you know, if he doesn't come in, then I guess you're just going to hear me talk for a while. Uh, So with that said, let me uh, put this out there. If anyone does want to call in, if you've seen the Voltron season two, and you want to share your thoughts while we're waiting for my uh, co-host, the number is 323-657-0901. Again, that number is 323-657-0901. All right. So as I said, we start with Across the Universe, and the episode uh, focuses on three stories, one of which is Karan and Alora trying to break out of a seemingly endless time loop where... uh, Every time they hit the wall, Koran becomes a bit younger. And there's some, you know, and one of the great things that the show does is able to balance the action with the humor. There's really something in it for both adults and kids alike. I actually watched part of this with my uh, two-year-old and part of it with my six-year-old, and both of them really dug it there were times where I would laugh and my son had no idea what I was laughing at, (laughs) but you know, he, he certainly liked the action to it. And I appreciated the fact that they were able to balance, as I said, the, uh, the comedy with the action, some of the more adult themes with the more childish things. I mean, it's really one of the best written series really meant for children that adults can appreciate that I've seen in quite some time. And speaking of appreciate children, I'm going to go ahead and bring on uh, my own little wild child here. <laughs> what kept you, Cooper? What's going on? Can't you see I'm not well? Well, actually, the really funny thing is I'm still at work. I haven't even actually, like, we're supposed to leave at 10. And I have this thing where I just keep working until the manager shows up and like, all right, let's wrap it up. He hasn't shown up yet. Which means two things. One, he's has a he's had a long day too. Or two, I've been left here, which that'd be really funny. <laughs> Does that mean you can't stay on the podcast uh, or or what? What where are we going with this? Well, well, it means that I was definitely calling in right now just to tell you I'm alive, and I'm gonna keep doing this <laughs> until Matt walks out of here, and then I'll have to hang up and like call back in five minutes. Okay. But yeah, this. Uh, this show actually was really, I think, really continues with the quality of the first season. Uh, actually, I would say it's even a tick up to it. That was, yeah, before you, oh, good, we both sound good tonight. 
Welcome to the Wheezy well, Podcast I, Network. Well, the reason it's wheezy is because it's like 40 degrees. Yeah. And I'm only wearing a thin layer of coat. <laughs> um, at this point, you're the, you're, you, know, you being on the show allows me to actually take a breath. Otherwise, I'm going to keep coughing. <laughs> oh, boy. That makes for great material. Yeah, yeah. We're doing good tonight. All right. So uh, let's, let's get out of this and, and get back to the topic at hand before I completely are unable to talk. Um, before you came on, I had, I, before you came on, I had actually said that I thought season two was better than season one. I thought season one, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree with this, but I thought season one started off a little too slow and it took a couple of episodes for really to find a groove. But pretty much once they were able to form Voltron and they were done training and they could actually go out and do missions and help people and, you know, the plot was officially moved along. I thought it picked up. Season two doesn't have that problem. You're, you're dumped right back in the thick of things. You know, the heroes are in peril and you're playing catch up, you know, with where they are. Um, even the bad guys are, are trying to figure out what in the hell just happened. And I actually really <laughs> like Zarkon's arc, which we'll talk about. But, you know, as a bad guy, they did a really, really good job of giving him a lair that you don't see in a lot of villains. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, like I said, overall, the, the show opens up at about 60 miles an hour, and it never takes its foot off the gas pedal. I mean, even the silly episodes, like the, like the one in the mall. Like, I love that, <laughs> where you had an intergalactic mall cop. Yes. But I, even, like I said, even that, was it, was it was really essential to the plot. I thought it moved fast. It was very entertaining. So overall, I thought season two was, was in many ways superior to season one. I feel like the kind of slow start to season one was warranted. It actually kind of allowed the, allowed the viewer to kind of, you know, <clears throat> ease them into everything, let them get to know the characters, get to know their quirks, and kind of get fond of them, and then check up. It's actually something that... Uh, a lot of your long-running tokusatsu shows, which I would totally review on the, a podcast for that if I actually recorded one. Uh, what a lot of them... <laughs> oh, don't die on me. Uh, what a lot of them do is, uh, unlike, let's say, like an anime series or like this, where it's 12 episodes, you give it three episodes, you figure out what's going on. You know, you give it the old anime try. With those shows, it gives you 12 episodes, and it's usually those 12 episodes are kind of relaxed, maybe just kind of uh, not real. There's no real, not any real stakes. There's monster of the week. They're learning their powers. It's entertaining. I felt like this was very much kind of a condensed version of that, where you were just getting to know your, know your people. This again, just like you said, they didn't have to worry about that because we already know our characters. Uh, there's already peril inherently in the fact that well, no idea, you know, what really happens to everybody at the end. Like I love how it took about. Two, it took two episodes for everybody to get back together. And it didn't give us any bullshit reasons either. Which, I love that. I really hate when they just, like, break up, a, like, a team like this. Like, like you know, like, this team for no good reason. Like, oh, yeah, no, I, they... I legit thought someone wasn't going to make it, and they were going to have to shove Allura into one of the lions. Well, you know That's they did that I'm... in the original series, so... Yeah, they lost somebody. I don't remember who. And I think she. It was, uh, uh, I think it was the uh, what's it, the black guy? No, not the black guy. The guy in the black suit. <laughs> no, <I'm sure. laughs> no, they didn't have any black guys. 
No, 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 they did not. Um, yeah, but yeah, they, she replaced one of the lions. I don't remember who. In any case, so I've, I've been waiting for that to happen. And I thought a couple of times they were going to go that way this season, but they did not. We'll see what happens next season if, uh, if they bring Shiro back or not. But we are getting ahead of ourselves. Sorry. So let's, let's uh, talk specifically about Across the Universe. As you were calling in, I was describing what was happening with Karan and Allura. I thought the stuff with Karan, you know, uh, regressing in age, provided a lot of the comedy of the first episode. I mean, that they was, really, did, they really did some funny stuff with him this season, and that was I a love, big part. I love it. the emo, uh, the emo version. Oh yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> you just want to understand. I'm like, oh, this is great. <laughs> Gold star. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, at first, I was, I couldn't figure out what they were doing with the animals, though. I'm like, are they regressing, or are they just like changing into something else every time? That's what I thought was happening with Karan. You know, was I, I just thought he was turning into different versions of himself. You know, because at one point he's all muscular and he's posing and everything, and I'm like, okay, I wouldn't have related that that necessarily to reflecting an eight. But yeah. it becomes very yeah, obvious after the first, you know, a couple of minutes. Yeah, and I like how it was not just a kind of a throwaway gag. It was actually important to the plot, which is something the show did a very good job of, which was like the mall episode, where it was totally a filler episode, but they did the thing that good filler episodes do, which is make sure that you have to watch it. Because it had because it had Shiro getting to know the line better and all that jazz. Yeah. Um, speaking of Shiro, him and Keith are, uh, are together. I thought they were going to have all five of the uh, lions uh, somewhere else, but actually there were four plot lines. If, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, there were four plots in this that were uh, all tied together, not just three. Anyway, Keith and Shiro land on some planet, and they're being chased by monsters and. Shiro's got an uh, uh, injury from uh, the, the, the fight with Hagar and all of that. And so <clears throat> the setup here, and really the only thing that that whole plot line uh, started to set up was the transition of leadership from Shiro to Keith. And a lot of this season has to do with Keith rising to the occasion and becoming uh, the leader that he should be. Uh, when Shiro inevitably steps down or is gone. Uh, this whole season, one of the big plot threads was, you know, Keith finding himself, finding the leader within, and then becoming that leader. Um, also finding out that he's part, uh, spoilers, that he's part Dolron, which I thought was interesting. Certainly not something they did in the, in the original series that I'm aware of. But uh, <clears throat> just real quick, what did you think of the beginnings of the planting the seeds of uh, Keith's r- arrival, a r- rising to the occasion? Well, I, I like when the, you have kind of your mentor character looks to the other guy and like, look, man, I think you could do it. And then you kind of see them paying, kind of paying off because sometimes you'll have a character that's like, oh, yeah, they're going to be the leader, and then they don't. Like in Dragon <laughs> Ball Z, where they tried to make Gohan the main character. And it wasn't popular with the manga fa- with the fans in the original manga, so they're like, hey, well, Goku time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I like that they made Keith a number. I guess a number. I would say a really good number two, as in like you know, like a, a good number two can really step in when the leader's out and take over. Yeah, that, and I think I, it also helped with the. Uh, the drama of it all. Like, oh, well, shit, maybe Shiro is gone because, you know, we do have a competent leader. 
one of the things I, I really liked about this season was they, you know, as you said, they, they gave you an opportunity in the first season to start to get to know them, to become attached to them and become invested in the series. This season, I felt every character had something happen to them that made you get to know them more, whether it was a big arc or a smaller arc or, you know, just you know, one little thing, even hunk to a degree. Even hunk at the cook. Yeah, even Hunk to a degree had things happen to him that moved his character along and made you more invested in him. Um, so yeah, very very well written stuff here. But uh, speaking of arcs, then we move over to Pidge, who lands in basically a junk pile. Um, and she's <clears throat> she's basically her 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 purpose in this episode was you know reestablish her as sort of the the tech person. Um, she's not going to be running, you know, full force into the fray, but over the, you know, over the course of the season, you see this come up again and again, that she's providing, uh, science and tech support. And, you know, she's in her own way. She's also sort of, you know, a mission leader. I wouldn't necessarily call her team leader, but she provides a lot of the mission leadership throughout the season, especially where, uh, technology is concerned. And which is good. I thought it made more sense that she, that they would put, the, the, the slighter character in those Thought kinds of roles back. playing to her strengths. I'll be back in 10. Okay. So <clears throat> one of the things I have Pidge do uh, in this episode is after sort of going through a transition period where she's just mucking about <laughs> trying to figure out, you know, what to do with her time and how, and how, you know, and whether or not she should wait, she takes the, uh, she takes her fate into her own hands and she ends up building an antenna. She attaches it to the lion, which sends a signal out, which uh, the, uh, the castle ship is able to find castle ship picks her up. They go off and they pick up uh, Shiro and Keith and, you know, they're pretty much reunited and they're on their way to, at the end of the episode, they're on their way to pick up Hunk and uh, Lance <coughs> who we will catch up with in the second episode. Um, so let's talk about the bad guys for a moment while we're waiting for Mr. Cooper here to call back in. Uh, Zarkon, there are, there are two things happening with the bad guys. One, there's a mystery as to, you know, within them as to who, who's the saboteur, who's the betrayer. And that takes up a lot of the season and it plays right into the, you know, the, series fina- the uh, season finale. But the other thing that happens, and, and you start to see it even in the first episode, is Zarkon becoming obsessed with finding the Black Lion. And if you're listening, Mr. Whitfrey, by all means, if you, if you want to call in, be my guest. Nothing is stopping you. You know you're an essential part of the Rattelogen Broadcasting team. <clears throat> so... Uh, go ahead and call in three two three six five seven zero nine zero one, and uh, God forbid, you know, take the strain off my goddamn throat. Uh, anyway, so he becomes obsessed with the black lion, finding it, uh, uh, bringing it home, reestablishing his connection with it, and you, you, it's not revealed just yet. It gets revealed later on in a couple of, in a couple episodes. Uh, there's something that gets, there's a connection between the black lion and Zarkon that gets established that uh, is both very important 
in terms of what happens to our heroes, but also <clears throat> is a driving factor in Zarkon's behavior through the whole season. I thought it was very interesting because normally, like I said, with, you know, with a lot of the bad guys, uh, you have a situation where they're very one-dimensional. You know, it's something that Robert and I have talked about on Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. You know, they, they have their thing that they want, you know, the, whatever their, their purpose is, and it just sort of gets limited to that. Here you have Zarkon really sort of establishing himself as, you know, not just evil for evil's sake, and not just single-mindedly evil, but uh, obsessed with this black lion to the exclusion of all else which I really found interesting. Um, I was fascinated that they gave that much depth to this character because throughout the season, he keeps getting warned by those around him to focus on something else besides the Black Lion. And, you know, there are warning signs that things are going to happen that he's not quite prepared for or they are not, the Galron in general are not prepared for. <clears throat> and he will not listen to reason. And a lot of that gets set up right, right from the start. So um, as, as tonight progresses and we talk about more of these episodes, we'll, we'll come back to this, uh, I think, a few more times. But just in general, I really, really liked how they handled the villains in this. <clears throat> especially once you get towards the, uh, the season finale, which we'll talk about in a little bit. All right, so I'm not going to stall anymore. We're going to move on to episode two, which is The Depths. And this is Hunk and Lance's story. No one else is really in it until the very end. But basically, while everyone was off doing their thing, you know, Pidge was building an antenna, and Shiro and Keith were fighting monsters, and Hunk and Lance land on this planet, they fall through the ice and they go into the water where they meet people, And uh, everyone is safe and warm. <laughs> it's a great little phrase. Uh, one of the things I liked about this episode was uh, they, they did play around with the idea that uh, things are not always what they seem, not even as what, what they're set up as. Because you have a situation where they come down and it was almost obvious that Hunk and Lance were being lured into a trap. Things were going too well. There was almost no conflict. <clears throat> so you knew the queen had to be evil. The uh, queen of the mer people. Uh, you know, it turns out there's this forest uh, that's corrupting folks. I'm going to take a brief pause for the cause here. All right. Is that you, Winfrey? It's me. I tried fiddling around with uh, the sending myself an invite to co-host and there's a plug-in that's acting strangely now that I'm on Windows 10 instead of 7 so I finally just said screw it and picked up my phone. Okay. So my it. apologies. That's fine. Um I've moved on from from episode 1 but uh I know you you're my bad guys person. Just give me 50 words here cuz I don't want to keep retreading the same material but how good was Darkon this season? Like, how, how great was it that they made him, to a fault, single-mindedly focus on getting that black lion back to the point where you start to see doubt around the, around the people around him? 
That was a step up from the previous season where he was just kind of menacing every three episodes or so. <laughs> of course, Sarkon yeah. got the best of it at the end when they all tried to attack him and he just kind of laughed at them. Yeah, he, and he really... And to, like, pimp-slap the entire team. Yeah, when he puts on the Robeast armor, you really become... Like, he, he's earned that menace, though. You know, <clears throat> after everything that's happened in Season 2, they really did... He wasn't the final boss. He really did build up to become, you know, one of the, one of the better sci-fi adventure uh, villains I've seen in quite some time. Um... But uh, going back to what we're what we're up to talking about here, the depths, the Mer people. Um, <clears throat> I was explaining uh, it, it's they almost set it up too easy. You know, like oh come on, you know, as nice as they're being to them, you know, this can't possibly be right. Something's amiss here. Yeah, but that it, was really <laughs> telegraphed. Fortunately, but they kind of made up for it with the twist at the end, where no, no, it's not actually the queen. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was getting to. It was like they, 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 set up, they set this thing up, and you're like, oh, come on, that's an easy spike. And they were like, oh, actually, she's also been mind-controlled. Oh, perfect. Okay. They've got a, a body snatchers thing going on here. Um, basically, uh, after Lance frees Hunk, they realized that the Baku, which was the uh, food source of the people, was really an alien predator beast. So uh, Lance channels a new weapon from his blue lion and kills the Baku, and as a thank you to the queen, uses the old energy beacon, which brings Pidge to the rescue. Uh, I thought this was a fun episode. I have to say, uh, you know, Cooper and I were talking about it before, before he had to jump off real quick. They really added some more personality and more, and more layers to the uh, main characters, to really all the characters, um, you know, both on the Involtron, Allura, Koran, you know, and uh, Zarkon and Hagar. I really thought that everybody, you know, uh, blossomed a bit in, in this season. But, you know, having it focus on just Lance and Hunk, uh, I was enjoying the focus on the two of them. <clears throat> I felt like, you know, with, with season one, there weren't a lot of opportunities for them to focus on a single character or even a pair of characters. And this one, they balanced it out between doing team stuff and having single or, or dual mission stuff where you could really get a good sense of the characters. And I never found myself thinking, oh, can we not focus on this character? This character pours the shit out of me. Um, that was, was the case here. Uh, what do you think of episode two? And you know, what's your reaction to how they handled that balance between team and individual characterizations and build? I agree that they did a better job this time around of working with both groups and individuals. They also did a they also didn't fall into the uh typical Scooby Doo, for want of a better example, of okay, we're gonna break up. So uh Scoob and Shaggy, you go that way, the three of us are gonna go this way and good luck to you. <laughs> because every freaking again, they didn't always break up along the same lines. They let you experiment and experience different characters having unique interactions with each other. And it was a massive step up. I got a kick out of this episode. Uh, you know, Lance getting, uh, the, sorry, the, the jellyfish on Lance's head always it got, caused me to chuckle. <laughs> I watched that episode with my daughter 
and she's she's not handling um, intimacy in in media very well. Anytime someone's <laughs> kissing or anything like that, she has a hard time with it. Jump in, Cooper, anytime. But she has a really <laughs> hard time with it. And, yeah, it's icky. And so she happened to be watching that particular episode with me and Jonas. And every time Lance was on screen and doing something and being his usual cad self, you know, his uh, Don Juan type self, she was like, can we get this character off screen? I was like, Jesus, Lily. <laughs> but I thought it was rather amusing. Uh, what do you think of this one from the, from the depths there, uh, Cooper? Hold on. Logging out. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good episode. It was a nice little twist. Like, ho, ho, they want the bad guys the whole time. Because, <laughs> you know, I, expect, I expected them to be the bad guys the whole time. Because I'm used to that. No. The show threw a nice little curveball. Vince Russo would be jealous of that swerve. Where the phone? Uh-huh, yeah, Vince a- Russo would have had it make much less sense. That's true. In fact, it would have made a whole lot less dollars and went out of business while I was at it. Huh. <laughs> also true. <laughs> uh, that silence, I was like, whew, tough crowd. But yeah, it was, uh, right. it was a good episode. It was largely enjoyable. I've shotgunned most of this. There's a few episodes I missed out on, but I'm not, I'm not a good marathoner. I'm really bad at, like, <laughs> shotgunning series. I'm like oh, uh, one or two a night. That's me. I think I watched part of it on Friday. Uh, I watched more of it on Saturday than I finished it up on Sunday. And um, I honestly, like, it was moving so fast and it was so good that when we got to the final episode and, um, you know, and Shira disappears and Zarkon's on life support, and, spoilers, and Zarkon's on life support and everything, I was like, wait, that's it? We're done? I have to wait until next year to find out what happened? No! I wasn't ready year? for it to be over. Did they confirm? Uh, it's pending. I believe, I want you know, I'll check while we're talking to, to be I, sure. Since animation takes a long time to produce. I mean, we're not getting another season this year. I want to say when I looked earlier on the Netflix uh, Wikipedia, uh, Wikipedia page, I want to say it was, re- it might have said renewed, but didn't give a specific date. You know, who knows? In any case, um, let's move on to episode three here. Um, so, and, and then this, and I'm going to have to read it a little bit, but this is where they introduce the good Galra, the, uh, the Galra rebels who call themselves the Blade of Mormora, which ends up playing a fairly significant role in how the season plays out, especially in terms of Keith finding out more about his history. But um, I'll just read this. Following the team's reformation after the corrupted wormhole, Shiro's in a recovery pod and vividly dreams the day he escaped. Galra scientist Ulaz releases Shiro, instructs him to get back to Earth and find Voltron. Shiro also expresses that not all the Galra are evil, as a... <clears throat> as uh, Zarkon was previously the Black Paladin of Voltron. <clears throat> Finding space coordinates in Shiro's artificial arm, the Paladin find Ulaz, who reveals he's part of an order known as the Blade of Mamora, who are hidden within many ranks of uh, Zarkon's empire. Praxis, who is remade into a row beast, finds the Paladins and quickly gains the upper hand until Ulaz sacrifices himself to destroy the monster and let Voltron find the HQ of the Blade of Mamora. Shiro and the group decide to wait until they learn how Zarkon is beginning to track them. In his room, Keith holds a small dagger he has had since childhood, which bears the crest of Mamora. 
which I had completely forgotten about. I don't know if they were even not even realized. I he kept looking at that blade, and I thought it was the one they pulled off of uh, Ula's. But um, and I'm like, why does he have this? Uh, do you remember, uh, guys, if they introduced that blade in the first season and I had forgotten about it, or uh, yeah, he something... just carries it. Okay. It's not a big plot point in the first season, but yeah, your first introduction to him, it is on his belt. It's just, again, he just carries it. Which is okay. good writing. Again, good writing, you know. Make some, introduce something in the background and then make it a big thing later. Chekhov's good. Yeah, dress it down. Yeah, I had about it completely. Um, so it took me a couple episodes to realize In any case, um, as an introduction to the to the Blade of Mora, I thought this was a good episode. Um, it was a they were transitioning out of picking up from season one and moving into the major plot thread of season uh, two. Um, I don't have much more to say about it than that. Cooper, what were your thoughts on this episode? Uh, episode three, I thought was a very nice way of introducing. Kind of a more, I guess, realistic vibe to the to the show. Like you know, there's black and white in a lot of this stuff. Uh, well, not black and white. There's there's shades of gray. Not every human's a good guy. Not every uh, whatever the fuck they are is a bad guy. You know, uh, there are good ones. And one thing I really like is that even though even when the guy sacrificed himself, nobody like, like half the people still didn't trust him. They're like, eh, it could have been a could have been a plot for a ploy. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, they gave it for you. I don't trust it. God, only good Galra is a dead Galra. Right. Yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I really like that uh, Voltron. I really didn't feel like defeated the uh, the monster on their own, which is which is a change. You don't usually see that in your more super robot uh, influenced television shows. Usually it is destroy. They you just you always get to destroy the robot at the end of the day with your special attack. Ta-da! Yep. Yeah, that's the thing about this season. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of you know Robeast of the week in this. They they had a hand you know they brought back a Robeast from this first season. They had this one, and then but they really tried to stay away. I think from the. You know, every episode Voltron has to fight a Robies, which was great. So the so the few times that they do do it, it actually makes it special. Yeah, I, that it, that it does, and I really and I also feel that it's uh, it makes the show really come in its own. It's not it's not necessarily aping off old Voltron or trying to be a like an Americanized super robot show. What it what it's trying to be is it's very much. Uh, kind of a more mature, serialized show. Like, even the Mall Cop episode was, like, little <laughs> silly things happen. Which, that, that was a very, that was a, a very enjoyable episode. <laughs> it was, I mean, they managed to do different things. Not every episode was Monster of the Week, and quite frankly, I feel like it was much to the uh, show's benefit. Uh, Winfrey, why don't you weigh in here? See, uh, episode three. Yeah, there's some there's a lot of really good uh, you know, stuff that goes on here. The folding of space-time into a pocket, you get to see a little Taka. bit more of Pidge. Uh, you'd see a little bit more of Pidge being kind of a technophile. 
which becomes more apparent later on, mm-hmm. which is a great little character quirk for her. We get to see more of a of a hunk being a fat ass. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, you know, like, uh, it's like a taco or a, or a calzone. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah calzones. <laughs> they really do a nice job of balancing hunk's sort of, you know, one one or two-dimensional, you know, goofiness, that sort of meatheadness with his courage and usefulness and, you know, his, his ability to think through some problems. They didn't just make him, you know, a, you know just a potato with legs. You know, they actually gave him, you know, some degree of, of intelligence and a purpose, which I liked. I mean, characters in this for me. Um, going back to Pidge, it's the next episode where we really start to see uh, Pidge come into her own. And now this is where they, uh, they go on their mission to rescue the Alkari from <clears throat> the rescue the Alkari from uh, Zarkon's empire. And the great thing about this episode is we, you know, the way they've set up Voltron in this series is Voltron can do a lot of crazy and wonderful things, but you, you know, but they won't happen until you find a deeper connection to your lion. Um, and so you have this green lion who's very nature oriented, and it turns out that once Pidge sort of go through, goes through this change, she comes out with this connection to the lion that produces this nature attack, um, which they end up using down the line and as a matter of fact i believe they she starts to use it in this one but they'll they'll use it again with the road beast that they brought back from season one and i thought it was great i it gave her an it gave her another uh layer to her character where you know i think she even says it in this one where you know it's she's like oh i don't like to go outside but you know i'm too pale yeah but My allergies finding... and complexion don't mesh with outdoor living, I believe, is the specific <laughs> line. Yes, it's a great line. But I love the fact that she, you know, to, despite that, she has this connection um, to the natural world through this lion uh, that rewards well, her with her the Well, learning passion. to understand the natural world through mathematics uh, is a really important, is a really nice you know, art way to connect her character because in the previous season she's very again very into technology very into you know, engineering and advancements and here for that to connect back to you know by the way nature obeys the same basic laws right and for her abilities again with engineering and whatnot to be reconnected <laughs> through that way is a very natural pathway for that character to make that leap it's very intelligently written and it's very logical on that level so we're not getting just random character development in the sense that there's no rhyme or reason to it it all makes sense yeah i I really i did enjoy that aspect of it so we have another uh issue happening in this episode happens right at the end uh one of the arcs of the season is that they're everywhere they go zarkon is right behind them uh, almost, everywhere, you know, almost, you know, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's another, it's another week or two. <laughs> oh, yes. God bless you. <laughs> I, I, hate, I never liked Full House. I do it for the people. 
in any case, <clears throat> and the there's, a mystery of, there's the mystery of how they're being tracked. You know, is it, is it Shiro's arm? Is it something on the ship? Um, you know, the, Laura thinks it's her, which we'll find out in the next episode. I think Keith thinks it's him. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff happening here. So, um, but, you know, but the pro- like I said, the, the problem here is they are being tracked and they don't know how and they can't meet up with the Blade of Memora because they don't want to lead Zarkon to them um, until they, you know, figure out how this is all happening. And I thought that, you know, when the writers plotted this out, there, there must have been no studio notes. You know what I mean, Winfrey? Well, one would hope at this point. They know what they're yeah. doing, and they're doing it well. A good studio executive knows how to get out of the way. <laughs> this really felt like some, some, some fine and talented people sat around and plotted out an entire season's worth of stories and added all these subplots and you know, were able to tie things together. And I'm like, wow, as I'm watching this, I don't have a lot of criticism here. <coughs> Excuse me. In terms of um, things that could have been done better or seemed like they were forced. And I'm like, this, this might be the only series I've watched in recent years that felt like it was completely done in a vacuum away from uh, the studios. Now, now, you know, DreamWorks is part of the group that put this out, uh, you know, which is Spielberg. And like I said, I'm wondering if it was just like, just do what you're going to do. It's going on Netflix and we're not going to get involved and we're all going to make a lot of money. <laughs> That's how this felt to me. I, I don't know if, uh, if, if, if you thought about that at all, but when I watched, when it was over, I was like, God damn that, that this just felt pure, pure, unadulterated, excellent storytelling. Well, that that particular series of words sounds very familiar to something I say frequently when we review movies. (laughs) Oh, yeah, what's that? You know, just my hatred of studio executives. Get out of the way, you useless hacks. (laughs) Go ahead, Coop. You were about to say something? Uh, I didn't really think of the the more... uh, How should I put it? I guess the more... Studio executive desk. Uh, I didn't really have those thought processes when I was watching this. Uh, perhaps it's because I don't watch review movies every week. I review music where typically there's no studio. There's a record label, but those things are garbage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but one thing I did think of was, especially with Tidge, uh the more uh, toyetic elements of this, where if they were going to be releasing, like if this were, let's say, like those Japanese children's shows that I watch, uh, there's a big problem sometimes where, well, we got our mate, we we got toys to release. How are we going to give them the upgrade? Oh, fuck it, just give it to them. There have been times I've been watching Power Rangers and it was, oh, fuck it, just give it to them. Like it wasn't earned. And that's what I felt like they've done a really, really good job between this and then Honk got an upgrade as well. Uh, if they were going to, let's say they're releasing toys for this, tying something like that into a storyline. Which, by the way, at my local Walmart, they had all five of the lions, and I wanted to buy really? them all. Yeah, they did. I wanted to buy them <laughs> then and there, except the black <clears> one was about thirty, and the other ones were eighteen apiece. <laughs> and you could make like a six, you could make a sixteen-inch Voltron. So and I was like, oh, next- I want to buy it. <laughs> so this next episode 
might seem like filler at first until you realize that it's setting up something down the down the road as far as an element of uh, things are going to need uh, for the final for the final plan, the final attack on Zarkon. Um, basically, you're dealing with this is you know they keep jumping with Zarkon in pursuit. You know, Zarkon finds them. You know, one of, one of the great things about this one is they actually recognize the fact that they've been going, going, going since the last season attack on Zarkon. And, and they're all exhausted. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it was this brilliant. One, uh, that whole arc draws inspiration from one of the best episodes of the Battlestar Galactica reboot from a few years back. Uh, I believe it's the first episode after what you had one of being the backdoor pilot. They have the two-parter... Again, premiere was almost kind of intended as a standalone movie, a miniseries movie, but was re- received so well they just kind of ran with it. I think the first episode after that deals with them constantly jumping away from the Cylons, but every after every jump they have like the specific amount of time. You'll forgive me for not re- remembering exactly how much it is. I want to say it's between 7 and 13 minutes. It's very specific because they have a clock. And after that amount of time... Suddenly, here comes the enemy, and it's exhausting the fleet, it's exhausting the pilots, and they don't know how they're doing it. And by the end of the episode, they do figure it out, but it's, again, it's one of the best episodes of that entire series, and it's it just kind of dealing with the fatalism there, and you know, the, the constant oppressive danger that they're put in. So for them to kind of you know, draw inspiration from that for that little bit of an arc in the show was really again really well thought out and really well executed as well. I I can't think of another children's cartoon that would tacitly recognize that the situation they're being put in would cause them to be exhausted. And I, and I think about like the the scene with Keith and um, and Lance, and they're they're both in bathing suits heading to the pool. And they look and they look almost gaunt, you know, and downtrodden. I mean, they you could you could feel their exhaustion, and what, in some ways, a very crudely animated show. I mean, it's not Flintstones here, but you know, I would not call it you know photorealistic either. This isn't Pixar, and and you really do get a sense that they're getting their asses kicked, you know, just just. They're, they're just empty, you know. Their tanks are empty, and you know it's only a couple of you know a couple of moments that you're spending with them looking that way. But it was enough to really drive home the point. Um, by the end of this thing, so the other the the other thing that that uh, the big part of this episode is their hyperdrive. Essentially, their hyperdrive is malfunctioning, and it runs on these mirrors. Uh, and I didn't get, I didn't get that. Did Hunk know that he was making the mirrors or, or did he make cookies? He was trying to make cookies and he just didn't, he couldn't read the, any of the language that's on the ingredients he's using. Okay. This is yeah. just a happy accident. I mean, look at how half of like, brain can see him come out of those with, bring those out of the oven and go, oh, he's creating replacement cubes. And then, no, no, he's trying to eat them. So, Okay. We know where we're going with this, but because remember he's like, ah, oh, come on, these are gonna be great, and he like just broke his teeth. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> I, I I love that off. setup. 
the uh, the smash, you know, the quick flash of like the X-ray of the human teeth shattering on that thing. <laughs> and That's then a good little gag. Like this, and then him doing the thing of just being like around the room, just like, oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, even I later they was... actually reference yeah, because Pidge tries to learn uh, Altaian, which goes horribly <laughs> because. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the system that he tries to utilize to learn to speak and read the language is uh, aversion therapy based. In this case, the aversion being a hologram that tries to kill him. <laughs> yeah, like it's safety parameters off. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, and then at the end, like, oh, wait, I know that word. Hunk was making terrible cookies out of those. Hey, they're not terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I love that Hunk was like, you're not going to save for the next batch? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was amused. Um, like I said, it's one of those things where I, I doubt my kids got what was happening, but it was making me laugh. <clears throat> hey, real quick, that style of animation coop is that an ongoing thing with anime? Where you know you, they had him. You, you referenced it just now. You had, they had him bouncing around the room with ah, no in between transitions. Is Holy that a thing? Does that have like a name to it or anything, or or, or something that's that's very common in anime, or was that just a uh, sort of a fun thing they did in this show? That's just really something I noticed in uh, this show. What it kind of reminded me of is when you kind of uh, when you stub your toe, and then you're just kind of be like kind of going around the room a little bit, just like ah oh, ah oh, damn. And now, and uh, that's not really something I see often in uh, anime. Really, this the style of the show really isn't anime influenced all that much. Now, you get to see some of it with, uh, oh, what's the fucking British guy? Damn it, I forget his name. Koran. But, yeah. Koran. The Koran, yeah. Uh, he's beyond the law. But, yeah, he's, uh, like, in some of the animation they use with him, it's uh, anime influence, but really uh, the animation studio that made this are the same people that did... Uh, Avatar and the Legend of Korra, and you can tell, like, immediately. Well, they did Last Airbender, too. Uh, they've done that entire property. Yeah, yeah, that said Avatar, but uh, at least it wasn't Avatar, the, the Last Airbender, you know, that shitty M. Night Shyamalan film. Uh, oh, God, the less said about that, the better. <laughs> we should just... Uh, yeah, look, should, watch, should... the, watch the uh, the cartoon, because oh, it's, it is. So, it's much, so much better. Uh, so, so much isn't even it is, it is leagues better. Like I don't know. I would say they're the like if Avatar: The Last Airbender was like the NBA champs, like the the movie The Last Airbender is like the lo- lowest placed like fucking pickup league in the middle of I don't know. There's a white people town. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with Sheboygan. <laughs> Because Wisconsin's always fun to mock. <laughs> I was, uh, what was I thinking of Greenwich? There we go. I was thinking of fucking Greenwich, Connecticut. All right. In the yeah, interest of time here, <clears throat> in the interest of time, if there's nothing else on five, um, suffice it to say, those those uh, circular uh, panels they use hyperdrive. I'm going to calling it a hyperdrive. Are uh, an important piece later on of the overall oh. storytelling. Oh, and you gotta love Koran, uh, him and his slippery disease. Is was the that thing that episode? actually saved the day. 
Was that that? Oh, yeah, that's right. Where he has he has the slippers, and at first he's like, "I'm not old. I don't have this." And later on, he's basically like ice skating on it. It's great. Yeah, and uh, I love like at the end, like that last one's not shined, and he's looking. He's like, "Oh shit!" And he shines, and I'm like, "Well, this is gonna be the end of him." And then he just slides through, and then manages to fit in between all the crevices. <laughs> I thought, yeah, it was cute. All right, let's let's talk about number six here because this is where things start to shift into high gear. And then we can talk about everyone's favorite episode, Space Mall. Um, but basically, uh, the team splits. They have Allura and Keith go off uh, separately because they feel like, well, one of them is, is how Zarkon is tracking them. So they're one way, and hopefully Laura Zarkon that way. Well, the other team uh, goes to the planet of Tarjir, which is being ravaged and strip mined for resources. Uh, the paladins, again, <clears throat> are working to free the people of Tajir from the iron grip of the uh, Galra Empire. One of the things I really liked about this episode, um, and again, it, it, was a, it was an interesting approach to the season for what is ostensibly a kid show. But, you know, you, you have the idea of, uh, as, I, as I was, you know, saying somewhat facetiously before, the only good Galra is a dead Galra belief versus, you know, no, the Galra are like any other group of people. Yes, you have a tyrannical dictator and those that are following him, but the Galra, they're not, they're not robots. They are, you know, there are people uh, just like anybody else, just like any other planet, just like any other uh, species that feel that what's happened here is wrong, that Zarkon is wrong. And will not follow him. And you have uh, Allura. In that same is, vein, I actually like that Allura is the vehicle for that prejudice. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, in large part, because a she's the one who is you know kind of the typical anime princess in a lot of ways. You know the yeah. the believer in goodness and you know teamwork and triumphing over evil and all that crap. But here so she has giving the prejudice. Her a, yeah, so giving her a character flaw is a really smart move. And the other thing is her position is not necessarily one you can't understand. Sure. The Galra wiped out her people. And, I mean, it's one thing to kind of logically say, okay, I mean, if you don't mind me drawing the obvious parallel here. It's one thing to say, okay, I know not all you know, followers of Islam are terrible people. Really when a suicide bomber wipes out I, your family, I was gonna say, I really it, it's harder go to it's harder really, to go with that. I really thought uh, you were gonna go Germans and Nazis, but you but you, that, you zigged when I thought you were gonna zag and you mm-hmm. went Muslim. Oh yeah, I would have went with Nazis because because <laughs> they are like evil. Um, but no, that's a, that's a brilliant point. You know, not every look. We we this is an ongoing. Boy, if anything mirrors what's going on in America right now, it's that. You know, it's the idea of, you know, the people who think that, the, you know, that all Muslims are bad. They're all terrorists or terrorist sympathizers, you know, versus the people who have a little bit more common sense, which is there's billions of these people in the world. They're probably not all terrorists. <laughs> you know? um, but again, if you have a situation where you, know, you were directly affected by, say, 9-11 or, you know, you've had members uh, of your family Any in the military. Any number of various instances yeah. around the world, 
you know, the objectivity be... kind of goes out the window a little bit, and it's not unfounded in that case. You know, sure. you understand why they feel that way. So Alora's prejudices in this instance, it's not just her being stupid. It's like, okay, she has life experience that has led her to this conclusion. Yeah. You know, and it, one of the other really great things about it is that it isn't just resolved in, the, in a 23-minute episode. This follows and is a major plot thread right up until the end. I mean, when, you know, when the reveal happens that Keith is half Galra, like, there's like several All of a sudden, she, she, can't, she won't speak more than two words to him at a time. Yeah, she's like literally going, would you please tell Keith? And like he's in the room with her. And like, I think even one episode, Shiro or somebody says to her, would you for this? And she basically was like, no, I won't. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty hardcore. And, and I had to going back to you for a kid show, which, you know, Winfrey, you should be jumping up and down right now saying, you know what, Rattledge? This is what I've been saying all along. God damn it. <laughs> that just because the kid show doesn't mean it happens. They're idiots. Well, I don't need to jump up and down and rub, my no- rub your nose in my point. You're making it for me. I'm content to allow you to reach the same conclusion I've already come to in your own time. Fair enough. Um, all right. If there's nothing more here, going once, going twice, sold American. Um, <clears throat> okay, so the big reveal actually happens in this episode, which uh, I want to quick talk about before we move on, and that is the way Zarkon is tracking them is not through Keith, not through Allura, but through his connection to the Black Lion which is, again, another, uh, an, another plot thread uh, that runs right up until the end of the season. And that is that Shiro and Zarkon are battling for uh, the, the supreme connection to this Black Lion. And right almost now... It makes Zark- you wonder what kind of things they did together. I mean, I, I almost do kind of want maybe a one-shot movie... You know, telling the story of how Zarkon wound up turning, because if he's got that kind of connection over that amount of time and distance, then he must have done, those two must have been through some gnarly stuff together. Well, I think he's... My buddy, my buddy, roar. Um, no one remembers my buddy? All right, never mind. Yeah, I do. Uh, and I remember uh, Creepy Uncle. Yeah. Remember, do you remember Kid Sister? Kid, sister. Uh, Kid, it was the same theme. Yeah, yeah I, I watched I Love the 80s. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I have to... You just I happened think to live one... it. <laughs> yes, 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 I did. Uh, he was also being helped out, though, by Hagar and the Druids. Um, I don't think it was just his connection, though that was a big part of it. If you'll remember... There's a couple of episodes. Oh yeah, they're, they're where powering he, him up, and he constantly right. demands more and more power in his yes. mad quest to retain that which was his. That's right. But um, that that battle over the connection to the lion uh, plays an important role in how the season ends. We'll get there. All right, Coop. I know. Uh, I know. Between the three of us, I might not be letting you get a chance to say a lot, so I'm just going to let you take it away here in all its glory. Episode seven. Space Mall, take it away. Space Mall. So we happen to uh, find out that the crystal cookies that Honk made were indeed not a permanent fix. So 
most of the crew decides to go to the space mall. But it is not quite the, what uh, what Quran, uh, peace be unto him, uh, thinks it's going to be. In fact, he thinks it's going to be more like a bazaar uh, where everybody's going to cheat you out of everything. And we actually get to see that at the end, which was so uh, that was a wonderful little exchange. Like it was like a it was like a it was like a game of uh, ping pong, like a really good game of Olympic ping pong. I've got Just some like, pocket lint. I'll take your firstborn child. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, both the crew decide to go off into the uh, into the bazaar. I know the princess and who stayed with the princess was a Pidge. It was Pidge, wasn't it? No, no, Pidge, no, went Pidge with, was uh, on the mall. Pidge was the Lance, right? Yeah, they, they they bought like a Nintendo or some shit and a cow. They, they were, oh, like I laughed so hard when they couldn't connect it to anything on the spaceship. <laughs> Because we've all been there, like, yes, I've got this. Now let me connect it. No, I don't have the three plugs. Why? Right. What kind of junk yeah. God would allow this? I don't have the right inputs. I don't have the right plug. Yeah, there's always something. Yeah, it's something like me on a date. <laughs> Good. All right. Save that for tomorrow's show there, buddy. Uh, I, I really wish they brought the cow out for some other for some future use cuz <laughs> when they buy that it's like here free with each purchase you get this cow like uh, I love it like and they actually take occupied. it back onto the ship and I'm like can we bring that up again in the future because that's hilarious it would have been funny <laughs> if like you know there's that one bit where where Karan uh tries to get in the red line and the red line goes and goes after Keith instead and uh it would have been funny if uh at some point, Karan like somehow animated the cow. It was like, oh, "I'm coming for you, moo." Well, the cow was yeah. alive, which was, which led to like was one it? of the funniest lines of that episode. Is they're all trying to escape very slowly on the back of this floating cow. You bought a cow. It was free with purchase. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was it's like, hey, you know what? It came with a CD. That's why Marcus sent me so, yeah. a shirt. All right, so they're in the mall to try to find these mirrors, basically, so they can power their hyperdrive. Um, you get a lot of funny exchanges, a lot of fun stuff going on. Of course, you have Top Chef Hunk, who takes this terrible restaurant and turns it around by uh, cooking this. The other part of this episode very important is the, is the continued battle between Zarkon and Shiro over the Black Lion. Which takes place on an astrain. Um, I get flashbacks to Zarkon and the Lion and all this other stuff, and, and ultimately Shiro is to further his connection to Black Lion and push Zarkon out, tying up that plot thread for a while. Um, like I said, ultimately this is a very funny episode. It was a fun episode. Um, it, you know, the first couple of I mean, as much as I love them. There was there was a lot of serious happening in the first uh, five six episodes, and it was nice to have one that was just it was important to the overall story, but it was also super silly. Um, I love Winfrey. I love anything else? The, uh, oh, go ahead. I love that the uh, mall cop is like, I will, <laughs> I will catch you for the emperor. Like I've noticed that the generals are a bunch of fanboys half the time. <laughs> like they just, like um, especially this, the one on the uh, I think was it the next episode 
Or the guy's just like a total fanboy that just wants to sit at the fucking table and watch, sit, sit at the table with the boss. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, which, <clears throat> which, real quick before I, uh, Winfrey, get your take on the episode. Uh, at the very end, they realize Archon can no longer track them. So we move into the next chapter of this season, the connection to the uh, the Blade of Memora. And this is where we start to get uh, some, some more of Keith's backstory. But uh, real quick, speak all, Robert Winfrey. Do you enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, what's not to enjoy? Uh, I think I laughed hardest uh, when the robot dies in the restaurant and Hunk's response is to the guy who runs the place, uh, I'm a, you know, come on, put me in, I can do this, coach, you know, that type of thing. What do you mean? No, you're here because you failed to actually pay me for food you ate. Like, <laughs> sir, I'm a, lar- I'm a rotund gourmand with a very sensitive palate, and your robot is lying dead on the floor. And <laughs> the, coach, the coach's response is, well, the last one of those is true. He's like, I think you got a point with that last, with the last one, and he's like, all right, you're up. I love, I love the old lady too. It's like, how long have you been in here? Well, he got me when I was just a kid, a girl. <laughs> he's like, oh no. Uh, I, I did enjoy the uh, that character that whoever was running the diner, you know, who's just so militant about everything and there's no joy in doing. You know, it's almost like yeah. He's and by the end, Hunk's like, line. this isn't over medium. Nothing that isn't perfect <laughs> comes out of this kitchen. And you're like, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, which and it started with it was like you know your <laughs> plate number seven fifty three sustenance is up next. You know, just. <laughs> <coughs> Reminded me very much of like you know the army and the cream chippies, but uh, episode eight, the blade of Memora. We finally meet up with these folks. Keith and Shiro uh, go to base. Uh, Keith brings one of the blades. This well at first, and then uh, uh, they you know, basically they're like, well, if you can pass the trial, <clears throat> get you what you need, do what we got to do. Keith, uh, after having the shit kicked out of him for a few rounds, finally figures something out. He's up in I, what appears to be a program. <coughs> um, he sees his father. There's stuff going on. He basically has to make a choice between he can learn more about himself, but it's going to cost him. Uh, or, you know, he can sort of embrace the fact that while this stuff is important, so is Voltron, so is the team. Uh, so is the greater mission. And sometimes you have to put a little bit of yourself away you know, to, to embrace the greater good. Which I thought was an interesting message. Um, so, you know, overall, uh, Cooper, what did you think of this episode? I thought it was a, uh, I thought it was a pretty good episode. Uh, I think which one was it? Was that the, was that the one with the big fluffy aliens? Or was that the one where? Sorry, because I was—I kind of tuned out there for a second. Was that the one with big fluffy Thanks. aliens, or the one where? where any time, any time. I love to talk over you. Um, or the one where uh, Keith had to like, pretty much become a man. Yeah, the one where <laughs> Keith had to become a man. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I remember that episode. That episode was actually really awesome. Uh, <laughs> it, I loved what they did with it uh, because you got to see so much more of Keith just because you were in his head. And that's something that I'm very happy they didn't do all the time, of course. 
But uh, I I thought it was just incredibly well executed. Uh, overall, it was probably one of my favorite episodes, just because especially when you combine it with the one that came before, it was a very nice bit of uh, tonality. Mm-hmm. One of the things that happened. But this was right also a little overdue is... for Keith, as far as you know, character development and backstory goes. We got a lot of that with everyone else in the first season, and Keith kind of took a back seat in terms of in development and motivation. And so for us to finally get a little bit of that again was was overdue, and it was very well done in this instance. <laughs> like I was saying, one of the things that happens in this is we go back to the turncoat you know, over on uh, Zarkon's ship, Command Face, who is a, you know, who is a part of Blade, and he alerts the order that the investigation is increasing and the timetable must be uh, escalated. Uh, at the very end, I believe it's at the very end of that, that episode, they come up with the game plan to take on Zarkon once and for all, but that means they're going to need some stuff. Uh, they got, you know, one group's got to go to uh, this um, worm in the, in space that eats planets. And the Weblum. Get, <clears throat> the Weblum, yes. Oh, we get, we get the hilarious digital VHS recording of how to deal with the <laughs> Weblum. Yes. That sure, always course, skips we'll be... over the relevant parts. Uh, yes, of course. That, that's comedy, everybody. Uh, so there's that. There's, they, they need the alien mathematician thing. Laura uh, has to go get something from the, I think it's the Alkari. Laura <laughs> uh, has to go backup. all the way back to the um, Belmara, who we saw in the first season. Hmm. You're right, the Belmara. I'm confusing my aliens. All right, so let's let's get to the Weblum here. So we have, uh, as you you know, we mentioned before, we have a different grouping of characters this time. We have Hunk and Keith, who are together, <coughs> and they are there to gather. Uh, let's see, what are they there to Crystal, gather? Crystal, the crystallized substance that they need to make the discs that power right. the hyperdrive. Right, right, right. Yes, they need. They they're going to need this because the object here is to suck. Zarkon ship into a giant wormhole and send them to the other side of space where it can't do anyone any harm, and they can take out the ship. Um, so that's what they're there for, and the whole episode is spent dealing with this alien worm thing. Um, this is one of those episodes, really, that's, that's more about Hunk than anything else. This is sort of his coming out. Uh, this is also an opportunity for Keith to... And, and, I, and I'll tell you, I, I think one of the... You guys are talking about, oh, Keith didn't really get a lot of the first season in terms of backstory, I actually didn't find him to be that interesting of a character until this season. Um, because, you know, and, and Funny how giving a character backstory and motivations actually makes them interesting. Almost like you it, know, it, we're hardwired that way. Um, <clears throat> one, of the things that, one of the things I found enjoyable about it was Hunk Keith's calling him, you know, oh, I like Balrog Keith. Balrog Keith was much better than human Keith. <laughs> yeah, Gulliver Keith has a sense of humor. You were checking to see if my skin turned purple, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of great exchanges between them two, but those uh, two this, have this, some surprisingly great interplay. But this was really this episode was a lot about Hunk rising to to his challenge and showing courage and being more than just you know the uh, the meathead. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a great episode. It was a lot of fun. I don't, they never revealed who the other character was that they met in the wormhole, right? That Keith saved. 
Was no, there any idea? No, the, that's just a nameless, faceless Galra who he saved. Okay, who ran off with some of the skull, right? Yep. Um, all right. Coop, hope you were paying attention. <laughs> Anything about this episode you want to say? I watched this episode. <laughs> well, like I said, I, I had to go to work eventually, so I think I got the finale, and that was about it. Yeah, the, the last <laughs> episode I saw was uh, Keith. Keith become a man, so yeah, I'll have to just listen in and be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Go back and watch it. It's a fun hunk episode. All right, oh, I episode... am. Uh, when we get done with this, that's what I'm going to go do. Go on, right, damn episode... it, cat. I'll fucking pet you. Sorry, my cat's <laughs> tapping me. Episode 10, Escape from the Prison Planet, or rather, Escape from Beta Traz. Uh, we have Lance and Pigeon. <laughs> I love this episode so much. <laughs> you loved that character that they rescued, I'll bet. I, I guarantee you, you were just you were all about that character doing the uh, uh slaw percentages. Yeah. yeah. Um percentages and things have to be just right and alternate realities. Right. <laughs> look, I also fun. got a kick out of the yupper. I mean mm-hmm. it's an obvious gag. You can see it coming a mile away. But mm-hmm. they get so much mileage out of it. Right. And, and it's and, and it's happening to the character it should have happened to, because I wouldn't yeah. call Lance half an idiot. He's not. He's also, you know, he, he's not as quick as some of the other guys. <laughs> he's definitely a pretty face. Um, and and it's totally believable that he would just assume this thing is you know that's only using one that's monosymbolic and just saying yup. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, sure, that's the guy you're looking for. He's the important well, it, part. Well, it doesn't of hurt thing. that he keeps asking it questions. To which Yup could be a believable <laughs> answer. Sure. Um, I mean, and this was... I wanted to yell at them for doing the stupid. Look, if you're ever meeting someone and you're not sure who it is, don't tell them, don't ask them, are you X? Because they're probably right. going <laughs> to say yes. Or Yup. <laughs> That's just how that works. Um, I, I was talking to Cooper before you called in. They really gave Pidge, uh, they played to the character's strengths. You know, Pidge is not going to run headlong into battle. Pidge is going to be that, that person, you know, uh, giving you technical advice, uh, you know, or coming up with strategy. That's where, that's where her strong suits are. And that's exactly what they did in this episode. You know, Shiro may be the team leader, but he's a good, he's a good soldier to send out into the field, you know, so that, uh, you know, I, I would liken her to like, you know, little giants where you have the one kid who's on the team, but he's actually like feeding plays to Rick Moranis, who's the coach. You know what I'm talking about? Do you, you ever see the movie? Yeah, I, I'm well aware of the annexation of Puerto Rico. All right, I, I've oh. seen Little Giants. <laughs> hey, you okay. know what's so, funny? The, the Panthers did that play one year, and it worked. <laughs> oh, of course. I know it's. Uh, no, you look Pidge being the you know the person who gets into the you know the, uh, the map room and you know, dispenses information makes sense for her character. Shiro losing his temper a little bit with Slav was hilarious because Shiro's a very even-keeled even kind of guy. Yeah. I mean, he'll get loud if he has to, but he doesn't lose it all that often. So Slav sitting there going, no, no, we can't walk over that. There's entirely too many cracks. What do you mean? We can just walk over it. No, 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 no. You don't understand. Am I the only one here concerned with the fate of my mother's back? I didn't know that nursery rhyme was intergalactic. <laughs> nursery rhyme? Every time you step on a crack, you create infinite 
You, you create fractures in space-time, allowing for infinitely more universes to pop up, exponentially increasing the odds of one existing where your mother has a broken back. <laughs> yep. I could just math, close math. your eyes and walk over them. I'd know you were doing it. <laughs> math humor. It's terrific. All right. Um, Why don't we just turn off the gravity? That increases our, <laughs> that increases our chances of success by at least 47%. Could you just not breathe during this episode, Winfrey? Were you laughing that hard? Uh, I had to pause it a couple of times. Uh, it was, <laughs> and, and and then you know, you you counterbalance that with Lance running around with the yupper. Yes, the space dog. And it, <clears throat> and the dog is like more effective at being Lance than Lance is. It's taking down <laughs> enemies, <laughs> and it's just it's so happy. And then at the end. When they escape, but the yupper stays behind, and the guy's like, well, the mad genius got away, but at least I saved my yupper. Who's a good yupper? <laughs> it was cute. All right, uh, episode 11, staying alive, staying alive, ah, ha, ha, staying alive. We get, we're back to our friend the Robies from the first season, the one that kicked Voltron's ass. This is round two. Um, Allura is uh, with the Balmera to uh, get Crystal. Um, this is when the Robe, yeah, in doing so, the Robeast is reawakened. Um, uh, Voltron has, you know, shows up to fight it. And this is where, again, Pidge gets to use, I think a couple of them use their new, uh, their, their newfound abilities with the lions to finally take this thing down. We haven't seen a good Voltron versus a Robeast in a couple of episodes. So it was fun to see this one. And really that was the most like effectively, uh, menacing Robies of the first season. Like I just like I don't remember a lot of the Robies, but that one. You remember I remember the out one that mind. had infinite lasers and impenetrable armor. <laughs> yeah, they really made a good job of making that one distinctly menacing and memorable. Um, they do eventually defeat it though, and they head out to the Elkarian homeworld where they've built the uh, the, the, the portal. Um, there's a there's a bit here I think where <clears throat> where Allura is still very cold to Keith um, after learning that he's part Galra. Yeah, she thanks uh, Hawk for getting the crystals. Yes. Um, this is a, uh, okay. And then I'm just gonna read this right here. Meanwhile, Thace makes the error of returning for a spy device he planted, only for the druids to intercept and capture him. So yes, he's his goose is cooked. He's in hot water. And that brings us to our two-part episode, uh, our two-part story here, our two-part season finale, the best laid plans and blackout. This is it. This is the final confrontation with Zarkon. Now, all season long, Zarkon has been, again, single-mindedly focused on bringing back the Black Lion. The point where they have made no plans for this. They have a spy. They have some inkling of what's about to happen to them. You know, Hagar is legitimately worried about, you know, the threat they face. And yet Zarkon... There comes a point when every right-hand man winds up questioning the sanity of the crazy leader. <laughs> yeah. The mad dictator eventually alienates even, you know, the person without whom they would not be, said yeah, evil tyrant. Yeah, they're most followers. Um, and that, that's where we are at the beginning of this one. She's like, God, you know, they could be coming here. We've captured the spy. We can learn about their plans. He's like, no, give me more power. I must find the black lion. I need the black lion. Nothing. Dude, nothing. let it go. <laughs> there, 
There is nothing without the Black Lion. You have an empire to run. Um, I almost wish they'd let him have a little bit of exposition about that. Because while I appreciate him, there's a lot you can infer about it. Mm-hmm. I really do wish at one point when someone questions him, he'd have just responded with the obvious, if I get, the, if I get that one, because you need all five to form Voltron. If I get one of them, we don't have to worry about Voltron ever again. Right. And this is the easiest one for me to track. Why do you not? I really did want a brief moment where he like smacked someone and said, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Stop being stupid and do what I say. At which point we could have the logical conflict between, well, I appreciate your plan, but we've got bigger concerns that are about to, like, drop us through a wormhole. Can we (laughs) develop a little bit of cohesion here? Well, you know, they've got – I I believe they are coming back for season three, and they're bringing back Prince – they're they're bringing into the fold Prince Lotor. Um, There there may be an an episode or two – that actually deals with Zarkon's past. He's not dead. He's on life support when this is all said and done. Oh, I was so sad. I wanted him to die. Well, you know... There's just not enough death in the show. That's my point there. Okay. Not enough death in the children's show. We got it. That's what he plans. All right, so uh, this whole thing is dependent on, you know, once again, someone gets bored, someone inside being able to do a thing that allows a thing to happen. And, of course... It's They're not trying to shut down the insane. central computer system that runs Zarkon's headquarters. It's a pretty right. important part of the plan. Well, I wasn't dismissing it. I was just, yet again, I mean... Oh, yeah, like, oh, no, you've got to get into the Death Star planet and yeah. set charges. And I, I wasn't even thinking about there's that. There's always I mean, something like this in these I types was thinking of more. I was thinking more about how... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, you know, in A New Hope, you know, Obi-Wan going to shut down the shield generator so they can escape. You know, and he's got to sneak around the Death Star all... Uh, all uh, must turn off the me. tractor beam and all that other stuff. Yes. In any case, um, Keith ends up going in uh, because he's half Galra, and they, they, they just see there's as good a reason as any. Um, him and Stace, you know, fight their way up. They do their thing. Uh, Keith, you know, Keith has then got to get out of the ship. Um, and this is all... This is all uh, a setup to get them to drag this thing through the wormhole so they can kick the shit out of it on the other side of the galaxy. On the well, they want to the isolate. It's a really great plan. They want to isolate him from the majority of his armada, as well as fight on a, you know, away from as many civilians as possible. And then once he's mm-hmm. powered down, Voltron can just, again, tear through the ship like it's tissue paper mm-hmm. and finish the whole thing. Yep. Uh, that's pretty much all. That, I mean, this is a, this, there's a lot of Keith and Face in this episode, and and the Voltron lions just taking out ships uh, in this, and then you know, and Zarkon acting like a lunatic. Um, but that all ends uh, real quick. Coop, did you see this one yet? Did not. Great. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Have you seen Blackout? Did you see the finale? I did see oh, Blackout. Real quick on the previous episode. Uh, this is the one where Alora kind of comes to grips with Keith's being part Galra and him still being, you know, a decent person. Right. Yes, absolutely. They have made amends by, by the uh, end of that episode. Well, right. At least she's not openly hostile, at the end, which is a step yeah. up in that, in that instance. Sure. All right. We are here with the glorious conclusion. 
should have been an easy thing. Voltron, you know, dead ship. Z- Zarkon, you know, unable to do anything. Uh, they had formed Voltron. Voltron was all powered and ready to go. They, uh, there's five points on Zarkon's ship they need to take it out in order for this thing to be completely destroyed. And I understand, you know, in terms of storytelling, they needed to make it a tad more complicated than what they were doing. But even so, I, I was a little, fru- I don't know if frustrated is the right word, but I just, I just thought it was interesting that, you know, like we, hit, we need to hit these five points. You have a gun. <laughs> you know, Hunk can give you a huge, you know, fucking ca- you know, shoulder cannon. And you're choosing to stab the thing with a sword, which I didn't really understand what the point of that was. And I also didn't understand why the uh, castle ship just didn't fire on the thing. Like, it just seemed like they were dragging this out. But, you know, they kind of had to because they needed a chance for Zarkon to get in his armor and uh, have the final Voltron versus Roby showdown. Which, by the way, did I miss something? Or did they introduce the concept of Zarkon's shitty, untested armor? And then it turned out it was just fine and there was nothing wrong with it. Or, or did I miss something? There was something wrong with it. Because like, it seemed like they did a Chekhov's gun and then never used it. Uh, no, the issue there was more they'd been testing it and it had never been successfully tested. And at that point, Zarkon was more on the li- thinking along the lines of, well, I'm clearly the missing variable. You morons can't handle this. And turns you know, out he was correct. See, I, I don't. I mean, it's a minor quibble here in what was an excellent season. But I just feel like if you're going to say it's, un, it's untested armor, that should have signified them either taking advantage of a flaw in the armor or it sort of just malfunctioning in the ta-da nick of time. The fact that nothing happens with it. and ultimately, I would have preferred that they be more specific about why it was failing. I mean, if, Either way. Well, my thing about that is just if the whole point is it's too – no one else can handle the psychic overload of trying to control this armor. No one else is smart enough, fast enough, powerful <laughs> enough to actually deal with piloting and maneuvering and keeping this thing up and running. And they just don't want to risk Zarkon. You don't want to risk the Emperor on faulty machinery. I just would have preferred that was made much yeah, made clearer is the fact that, no, the issue is not mechanical in this instance. It's the inability of any other Galra to actually deal with whatever it is that powers this thing or whatever it is that makes it effective. And he's the, he is literally the only one who can do it, er, you know, just kind of proving that all the testing is a little bit for naught in the sense that, you know, again, I am the only being strong. It's like Thanos. Thanos is the only one who can contain the power of the Infinity Stones. So everyone else that tries just inevitably fails based on their own shortcomings. You know, I would have liked if they had just left that out. I didn't feel like they did enough with it for the amount of time they spent on it. You know, maybe a better way of handling that would have been, how's my armor coming along? Still putting it together, you know? It's giving us that, trouble. Yeah, that would have worked We're just as well. Um, you know, and that just be the end of it. <clears throat> uh, Cooper, before we have final words on this episode, and you know, and how it ends, and all the, what do you want to purchase? What do you want to contribute here as far as observations, things you liked about the episode, etc. <laughs> I love it because I actually watched this one. 
like the other one. <laughs> I was I was shotgunning the hell out of those. I should have watched it all Sunday night, but instead I, I was watching Castlevania speedruns. <laughs> that was cool. That was awesome. I mean, you get to see somebody beat a game that took you like fucking 15, 20 hours and 45 minutes. Anywho, uh, yeah, uh, this episode here, pretty much, uh, I, I liked it. The stuff with the armor, yeah, maybe it'll come into play another time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Like, I feel like the writing is too good in this show for something like that not to be addressed at a later time. Or better than it was. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, there are, of course, narrative stumbles and everything in life, but I I just kind of feel like that uh, it's like, no, 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 they they wouldn't make that mistake. (laughs) Like, if you were a Patriots fan in, like, 2007, it's like, oh, they won all the other games. (laughs) <laughs> I want I want pictures of Spider-Man. So, I have to say, even for a kid's show, even for as many television shows as, as I've seen, even knowing that there's not a lot of courage in Hollywood, when the castle ship was helping out Voltron, and it was firing, you know, all lasers onto Zarkon, and... Uh, there was like a reflection and the, the it lasers bounced back and hit the ship and the way they uh, shot it would not be the right phrase. Um, the way they animated it, I thought they were dead. I literally believed for a moment, Allura and Karan were, were gone. We're off the show. I thought they blew their own ship up. I, I don't know if you guys were like, Ooh, you know, are they dead? What's going on here? Or like, Oh, they're not going to, it, it's a credit to the show that I had to think about it. Like, wait a minute. I, I, I know if, if this were any other show, I would have laughed it off. Like, no. We all know. <laughs> there's no way. It, again, it's a credit to this one that there's that there's that pause. There's that moment where you're like, you know, they might. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Like, it, was... <clears throat> <clears throat> it was imminently believable that they'd kill off main characters in this show. That's how good this is. But alas, once again, they are <laughs> knocked out. Uh, there's, a, there's a final push at the end where Allura take, uh, goes, Allura and two of the Blade guys go after the Druids and Hagar, where we learn that Hagar is actually Altaian, and Allura can summon magic herself. So you have that bit. Um, which Hagar survives the battle anyway. Uh, you have the final fight between uh, round two between uh, Zarkon and Voltron, which ends with Shiro disappearing from his lion and Zarkon being placed on life support. Uh, they ultimately don't blow the ship up. It powers back on before they're able to take out the last of the five points that they needed to take out. So, so our heroes make a run for it, and uh, our, the final words from Hagar in the season are, "Bring a, you know, call Lord, uh, Lord Lothar, whatever the hell his name is, Prince Lothar. So that's how it ends. And to be clear, I believe we are set for season three next year. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can wait that long. 
But while I'm quickly looking this up, um, go ahead and give your final thoughts, Coop, on the, uh, the, whole, the season as a whole and the season finale. Uh, the season finale, uh, really well done. Uh, Prince Lothar, or Lothar was a big part of the original show, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so it's good to see them finally uh, bringing him in. The season as a whole, whew. Well, I've, I've like I saw most of this series, and when we get done with this podcast, that's what I'm gonna go do. I'm gonna go make some spaghetti, and I'm gonna finish this show. Uh, I, I really enjoyed what I saw. Uh, superbly done in terms of character writing. They did a good job within 12 episodes of giving really six characters, uh, seven if you want to include the bad the bad guy, because I'm including the princess here. Uh, a lot of development. And just really kind of honing in on what makes the characters really fun uh, and makes them important. And you really grow to kind of love the characters and the amount of time that you're given. Uh, really, the first season was great. Oh, was good, but this was great. Uh, this is them like uh, one of my favorite anime, Haikyuu, which is a volleyball anime. Uh, first season, it's a little slow at setting stuff up, kind of uh, – Introduce some people. By the time it hit the second season, well, we didn't need to. You didn't need to worry about that. Like now, you're just building. You're kind of you set your foundation. Now you're building your house, and that's what I feel like this was doing here. This was building up the house, and it was building a very pretty one at that. In fact, it was building a McMansion. <laughs> we have a lot of those. We have a lot of those around here. <laughs> so um, uh, overall, if I were to give it, a, give it a score, give it a solid nine out of ten. Yeah, you know, easily. Uh, <clears throat> Winfrey, same thing. I, you know, considering that this is uh, a show based on a very cheesy port from the eighties, uh, this show is superb. Uh, all the characters have time and depth. They all have high points and low points. They have strengths and weaknesses. The animation is again; it's its own kind of unique. Not completely unique, but again, if you follow the studio, you, you can see similarities to all of their other stuff. But it's very, it's got its own animation style. <laughs> the battles are all appropriate. Uh, I loved the fight between uh, Zarkon and Voltron. I, I'm sitting there watching this fight, and any time there, if we get, actually get a close-up to kind of watch some of the action, I'm... I can actually see what's going to happen because they've modeled it very well on how fights actually go. There's one right near the end, I think the one that actually causes the uh, Voltron to break apart. They overcommit on using the sword in the right hand, and as soon as Zarkon parries, it's like, great, now you're just wide open for that counter. <laughs> and, you know, again, pretty sure enough, straight down the pipe, kaboom! The big counter right, and... Again, it's drawn well. It's written very, very well. There's just there's very li- the nitpicks that we have had here are very minor, and yeah. there's just there's almost nothing to complain about. Certainly, no glaring weaknesses, no major stumbles. It's a very well done, well thought out, well executed television series. It's accessible. It you know. Aimed more at kids, but it's certainly very accessible to adults. It doesn't alienate children when it deals with the stuff that is aimed at the you know the older audience. Uh, I just I don't have any real complaints about this whole series. It's again it's very good. If you haven't seen it, 
You're missing out, guys. This is very, very well done. I'm going to go ahead and say it's probably one of the best written television shows, uh, television series on TV right now. It really, I mean, when you compare it to, you know, and I'll just keep it within the realm of sci-fi fantasy, whether it's for children or adults, I would put this up against anything in the Arrowverse or, uh, you know, the Marvel television shows, um, anything on the sci-fi channel. I, I mean, and, and, and it's getting rave reviews. The, the little bit that I've seen, either on Rotten Tomatoes or just doing some Google searches, um, I haven't seen a bad review. of uh, Right now, the Wikipedia page for Netflix series is pending. So we may or may not get a third season. I certainly hope we do. I hope this runs for, you know, four or five seasons. Uh, we'll, you know, hopefully the quality will maintain. Uh, as for me, I, I thoroughly enjoy this. I wouldn't call it one of the best series on television. I didn't. But more importantly, I don't get to do a lot of stuff on this network that I can share with my kids. You know, a lot of it's, I got to, you know, make sure that they're napping or I got to watch it when, uh, you know, when I'm, when they're not home. Or, you don't want to uh, expose you know, them to illicit drug use. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just assume I you rewatch the, the wire constantly. Well, no, I did make the mistake of having orange is the new black on with my daughter in the room. And I, took, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I made sure she, her back was to the TV and she had the iPad at the time. And she still saw one of the worst things in the episode on, in the series that particular season. And then I had to, I had to calmly explain what in the hell she was watching. Um, <laughs> Dad of the year right here. But yeah, so like, I don't try to make Next that. Next time on Divorce Cast. Yeah, my wife was well aware of that uh, error in error in judgment. But yeah, it was Next nice. Thing to you're gonna to don't do that to sing a brown eyed girl. No, shut up. <laughs> um, so, yeah. <laughs> it was nice to be able to watch a couple episodes with my son who, you know, runs hot and cold. Yeah, he's actually getting a lot better with that. I he we've been watching the Clone Wars, uh, the, the Star Wars show and you know, a couple of months ago, I couldn't get him to sit through a single episode of that. Now, he'll, you know, he, we sat and watched a couple episodes together, and he was really into it. Uh, one episode into into season, he told me it was his favorite show, which I thought was pretty funny. But even my daughter, you know, I was watching the end of the Falcons um, Green Bay game, and even you know, and I wanted to see if the Falcons were going to blow a twenty point lead in the last five minutes of the game, which was conceivably possible. It's quite possible. Didn't happen, but certainly no. you were. It was well within the realm of possibility. Yeah, I really wanted to watch the game until at least the last two minutes or something, just to see how close the score was going to end up being. And she was like, "No, can we please watch Voltron?" I, you know, <laughs> it's like I gotta go to bed soon. I want to watch a couple episodes of this before I go to bed. You know, so there, there's <clears throat> there was some enth- there was a, some enthusiasm there for her too. So, you know, it was nice. You know, it was enjoyable for me. It was enjoyable for my kids. Uh, it, it is extru- – I have to give a lot of kudos to the writing team that really wrote the strongest seasons of television I've seen in quite some time. It ain't The Wire, but it was wildly entertaining. And I have to say it was pretty solid. Like you said, we had some, we had some minor quibbles, but I don't think there was like a major plot hole in this thing. 
you know, or something that was imminently uh, confusing or, you know, something I just didn't understand what was happening. I don't, you know, it was very clear what the objectives were and what, how things played into each other. There was no wasted motion. Uh, it, it really was a solid season, and I'm very excited to see where they go with this next. So with that said, we are going to bring this to a close. Uh, we are a little bit over our, our the 90-minute recording time. So uh, I want to first thank Robert Winfrey for jumping on here as uh, we got off to a bit of a rocky start. And as you can see, I'm, I'm a little under the weather tonight. So thank you, Robert, for uh, coming on. Happy to help. <laughs> and of course, thank you, Cooper, for uh, getting onto the show. <laughs> I appreciate your efforts, despite the the stuff going on at work. Yeah, that was that was funny. I was there so late because apparently uh, everybody at my work is an asshole and left the poor assistant <laughs> manager, who is on salary, who doesn't get paid by the hour, to put up all the cardboard. That poor <laughs> bastard. Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. Um, so real quick, do you want to, uh, you want to do any plugs there, Coop? I know, you know, tomorrow we have Metal Hammer of Doom. Um, and I think every week you say, once upon a time, you used to do a podcast. Would you like to do that now? Of course. Uh, of course, the Metal Hamster of Doom uh, tomorrow night, 930, right? Is it 930 or is it 9? I don't know. When are you available there, schmucky? Oh, schmucky. Uh, what are you trying to say? Are you saying I'm, am I uh, downtrodden? What are you saying? I'm old Gil, but I can't judge an MMA fight? <laughs> when are you, yeah, when are you available? That. Wait, is it you? Got, Seriously. It's you, isn't it? Uh, I got <laughs> I got it at 930. Is that, a, does that accommodate your schedule there, kiddo? It's, I'm off. <laughs> if I wasn't <laughs> off, I would have said something. And by saying oh, something, I'm in a well, well, hang on. I can't. Old man with COPD. So if you're if you're in a rail by nine, we're going at nine o'clock. Oh yeah, I, I much prefer nine. Okay, nine o'clock. Yeah, uh, yeah, nine o'clock. We're doing the new Firewind. Uh, Ode to Leonidas is a fucking awesome song. I'm just saying. Uh, yep, it's been a lot of Yeah, it's just fucking shredding. It's gonna be really good. So you're gonna get a real cool review of. Uh, New Firewind album. Uh, the Sentai Hands Out Friends and I have a good fun time podcast that I like to call the Sentai Writer Podcast. Uh, I got to drop a few nuggets of my knowledge on the subject here, so maybe one day I'll do that podcast again. God, I just have to pull Hunter just so we can review the Power Rangers movie, even though I'm probably going to try and review it with you guys because <laughs> I'm going to be that guy since I watched Power uh, Rangers a few times in my life. Which, no, I gonna... actually don't want to. I don't want to be that guy. I really don't want to be that guy. Hey, I'll be that guy. Don't worry about it. Okay, you could be that guy, and then you could, like, slowly coax that guy out of me. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait for that. It's going to be a really really interesting movie, at least. Uh, It's not going to be interesting. It's going to suck. Well, I mean, interesting in seeing just exactly what they're going to do with this. Okay, I, know, but, you know, I have two points of minor hope for that movie. Uh, one of them is Elizabeth Banks as Rita, because I know Elizabeth Banks can actually act through the type of prosthetics and makeup that they're going to be applying. And Brian Cranston as Zordon could be oddly awesome. 
Oh, and can't forget about Bill Hader is Alpha 5. Bill Hader needs to be dropped into an active volcano. I love Bill Hader. He'll be a hater. No, I, I can't stand him. I just, I can't stand. I, I know nobody can see my face right now, but after that awful fucking pun, I just did like, just the like, ha-ha. Like, you know that, that the meme with the fucking husky that's just like, ha-ha. Yeah, that's me. Um uh, final final plug here. Uh, my buddy Sean Garmer and his site WTMNet.com. Uh, I'll actually be having an article going up on there. I think next week. Uh, he was looking for somebody to review a game, a game called The Flame and the Flood, uh, and I was like, I got free time on a PlayStation. Sure, <laughs> I'll take free stuff. So yeah, I'm totally taking a free game to play a game that's very much like a, a more active version of the Oregon Trail. It's interesting. Uh, not quite got my attention yet because I've been watching Voltron, or at least trying to. <laughs> well, well, between sleeping and working and watching Voltron. So, yeah, look out for that next week. I totally, once the hearing in my left ear is fully back, I plan on reviewing some metal. Uh, but, yeah, they also uh, Wrestling to the Max podcast. Really awesome show. They usually do like a fucking four hour podcast every week. They review everything. Check them out. He's the nicest guy in the world. Hopefully, he'll start posting our shit. He just keeps forgetting. <laughs> Every once in a while he's like Yeah Coop I'm totally going to start posting that Metal Hammer of Doom someday <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like You sure you don't want to do the UFC show first <laughs> They get the most views <laughs> Alright uh, Winfrey go ahead and plug your stuff Alright real briefly This coming Saturday you can find me providing Live coverage for UFC on Fox 23 In the MMA zone of 411mania.com This coming Sunday at 8pm Eastern Standard Time I will be hosting the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show We'll be reviewing that event And previewing UFC What is it? Fight Night 104? Yeah Dennis Bermudez will fight the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung We'll be be previewing that card. Yay. Is this his first fight back since the military? Yeah. That's a rough welcome back for for him after, you know, two years away from the sport. Hopefully hit somebody with the twister again. Uh, If he does, it won't be Dennis Bermudez. Dennis Bermudez is not a scrub, whereas Leonard Garcia kind of sucks out loud. Well, I mean... He was a scrub, and a scrub is a guy that get get no love from me. <laughs> I think that's it. Also, they're uh, they're revealing the year end uh, MMA awards in the MMA Zone of Four One One Mania, so you can find my participation in all of that. Feel free to yell at me, or you know, for my particular lists, uh, agree, disagree with the outcome, so on and so forth. Uh, so feel free to do that, and. I think that's it. I don't think I have another scheduled appearance in the near future. Though if Mark uh, you know, injures himself anymore, I might wind up taking over at least one of those upcoming shows he's scheduled on. So, um, um, All right. Uh, I just got some horrible news. I'll do this really quickly. So, fucking Christ. All right. Uh, real quick. Yeah, tomorrow night, 9 o'clock, Metal Hammer of Doom, Firewind. Um, check out, it's in the archives now, Jesse's So What's Your Reading Special Part 1, where you spoke with Josh Calandros. 
We have our second uh, on trial this week, this uh, Thursday at 9.30. We'll be putting Inception on trial. And uh, Friday, another episode of the So What You're Reading special. I'm not sure who's going to be on that one. Um, I know I'm in there somewhere, but not quite sure where. Uh, Next week, uh, Monday, uh, So What You're Reading Part 3. Pat's going to be on for Fuller House Season 2. Metal Hammer Doom Review Creator, Gods of Violence. And the second show with Gavin, uh, because Gavin made me watch The Master. So uh, if you liked our review of There Will Be Blood, we're going to do it again. This time we're going to do The Master, and I'm going to try to find something positive about this movie because I really hated the first half that I watched the, uh, the first time. So, Oh, there's so much positive about The Master. Ugh. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, there's issues, and I think you'll probably wind up disliking it intensely. But it's a, there's a lot good there. If you say so. All right. Uh, thank you again, Robert Winfrey, for dialing in. Thank you, Robert Cooper. Uh, we'll be back uh, uh, tomorrow night for the Hammer of Doom. Be well, be safe, and behave.